Hey, hey, today, my guest is Jennifer Coburn. She's the author of We'll Always Have Paris, Reinventing Mona, and a number of other lightish, entertaining books. Then she learned about the Lebensborn program and was compelled to learn more and share. This program was created in 1935 to be the wellspring of future generations descended from those who Nazi authorities deemed racially viable. They bred kids with SS soldiers and women volunteers. They also stole babies from other countries that fit that mold. It is an appalling true look into history from the perspective of three fictional women. It's kind of Handmaid's Tale meets Swing Kids meets Sound of Music without the music. Her dedication to detail is immersive and impressive, and it's a story everyone should know. So sit down, strap in, turn on, and turn up this governmentally approved episode of Tony on the Mic. Our story begins as these stories often do. <laughs> My last book was a mother-daughter travel memoir called We'll Always Have Paris. Before that, six romantic comedies. So uh, writing about Nazis, yeah. not the next natural career no. step sure that all for of me. you have the most amazing stories filled with drama and romance and, and meaning. You have no hey, I don't have an overactive imagination. I don't need to. Right. I right. just I just tell tell it like it really happened. There were times that their mission was to identify um, racially fit-looking children. Right. Then they would bring them in and they would do their um, racial screening, which is matching up their hair color, their eye color, their skin color with their with their color swatches. They measured their heads with calipers. I need people to know that the Lebensborn program existed, why it existed, and and how it operated. I have to say, that's the most amazing story I ever heard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product, my name is Tony Lawrence, and this is Tony on the mic. Today, I have a return guest. Last time, I interviewed a publicist who happened to be an author, which I had no idea at the time that you were an author. And then we talked, and your new book is very exciting. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Today, I'm talking to a much broader audience. My audience has exploded. I mean, you're going to sell dozens of books. Because <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> because, because of this interview. Jennifer Coburn, say hi to the folks. Jennifer. Hi, folks. How are you? And uh, you have... Now, you, are you leaving town? Are you going somewhere? I know that you're doing a lot of stuff around town. You're hitting a lot of places. Hitting a lot of places the week before publication. And then uh, on Pub Day, I'm headed out for a three-month book tour. Wow, three yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. cool? Uh, oh, every place is cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great to go and meet readers and talk to them about uh, my book and what else they're reading and introduce them to this program that so few people have heard of, which is the Nazi Lebensborn Breeding Program. But I guess the place I'm looking forward to most is I'm going to 15 states. Wow. And yeah, it's exciting. And I think Atlanta, and only because because I haven't been, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the um, social justice sites um, yeah. when I'm there. Nice. We went to Atlanta. Um, boy, I was I was young. I was I'm gonna say ten ish. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Young, he was pretty influential in Atlanta stuff. And my dad worked with him on a campaign, uh, and he went down for John Lewis's first campaign. Mm. In, so we did a lot of that stuff. But I remember we got to walk on the ice at the at the time Atlanta Flames hockey team. 
And I just remember the giant A in the middle of the ice and looking around thinking, I'm standing on this A. So every time I saw games after that, I was like, I was there. I was there. <laughs> and the thing, the thing, the other thing that sticks out about Atlanta was everything's Peachtree, Peachtree Lane, Peachtree right, Street, Peachtree right. Boulevard, Peachtree, you know. And so that'd be great. Atlanta, Atlanta is a lot of fun. Um, at least my 10 year old self <laughs> remembers it as a very good time. I want to talk about this crazy book. I want to talk about a lot of stuff, but I want to start with your book. It's a historical fiction, right? Yes. And it's based on this true story. Tell us again for, see, before we didn't have that many listeners and even the ones who didn't, but now, whew. So catch up our listeners on what the Levensborn Project is. Yeah, sure. Okay, so my book is a historical novel. It's called Cradles of the Reich. And it is about three very different German women who meet at the Lebensborn breeding program. And what that is was the Nazis' plan to create two million racially valuable, and I'm putting air quotes around racially valuable. That's their term. Two million. Two million new racially valuable babies for the Reich. And they did this in in three ways. One, they arranged sexual liaisons between SS officers and German women. Two, they opened um, maternity homes for mostly unwed German pregnant women. And three, when the war started in 1939, the Nazis started kidnapping children from states that they uh, sorry from countries that they invaded if the kids were blonde haired and blue eyed in the end the Lebensborn program created 20,000 new babies and stole 200,000 what Mm -hmm. so they would go through oh let's say Poland they I think they invaded Poland yeah Poland um was their primary source of stolen babies. 100,000 children were kidnapped from Poland alone out wow. of those 200,000. Wow. So they'd just go down the street and they'd say, hey, blonde hair, blue-eyed baby, and take it? Um, yeah, often killing the parents. Wow. Yeah. And what mm-hmm. age? What age? Like, had to be a newborn? Or? Mostly mostly infants and toddlers, but when they kidnapped children, it, it could get, children could be a little bit older, but they really had their eye on infants and toddlers. And the reason that they wanted the younger ones is that they were easier to Germanize, and that is another Nazi term. Wow. Uh, when you have a six-month-old baby, Germanizing him or her is not hard. Right. You just change the baby's name, um, teach them the German language, which is fine because right. they don't know any, any other other and um, they don't know any difference now when you have a four or five year old child and tell them their new his new name is Hans sometimes they resist they fight back and uh, that was the case with the older little boys and when those children refused to be Germanized they shipped them off to concentration camps and murdered them kids kids so it's entirely possible that uh, scout uh, what do they call the advanced scouts who go who go looking? <laughs> <laughs> well, they called them soldiers. Sol- they were they were <laughs> okay. they were they weren't um, they were soldiers. And when they were on the ground, there were times that their mission was to identify um, racially fit looking children. Right. Then they would bring them in and they would do their um, racial screening, which is matching up their hair color, their eye color, their skin color with their with their color swatches. They measured their heads with calipers. Wait, wait. So they had a, like a color swatch, like you go to Home Depot and you say, I want my kitchen to look like this. Only yeah. We want our babies to look like this. Absolutely. And Tony, if you go to my social media sites, um, Instagram and Facebook, uh, Jennifer Coburn Books, okay. um, I have 
several um, posts that show the hair swatches, the color swatches, and it's not it not just that. Um, it's it's a whole series called Factor Fiction Friday, and the reason for that is because when I started talking about the Lebensborn program, or rather when I started writing about the Lebensborn program. I sent my early drafts to a friend who was not only Jewish, but the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Oh and she read my scene where Gundi, my, my heroine, is in a doctor's office and she's having her hair, skin, and, um, and eyes color-coded and her head measured. And my friend wrote in the margins, this doesn't seem realistic. So that... And that I thought, my goodness, if anybody should right, know right. that this is not only realistic, but, but real, yeah, um, it happened. should be her. So, so I decided, because so few people know about this, I'm going to run a series of posts uh, letting people know, like, hey, this little silver cup that says, um, to my godson, let's just say, Eric... <laughs> Uh, Wilhelm, Wilhelm um, f- from your godfather Heinrich Himmler. That's a real thing that the wow. Lebensborn children received as a gift, and they were all the godchildren of, of Heinrich Himmler. So this was his this was his um, brainchild. So all of those whacked out things that happened in this program. I wanted to let people know, like, hey, I don't have an overactive imagination i don't need to right i just i just tell tell it like it really happened and um yeah so so check that out i know absolutely well and and again jennifer coburn c-o-b-u-r-n books Mm -hmm. okay uh instagram instagram same thing facebook you know i don't use twitter much i you know what i need to i need to get my tiktok game on i'm getting on the tiktoks yeah i'm gonna do the tiktok uh, my kids hate it when I call it the TikTok. I know. I and I like to tease my daughter and say, "I need to tick. I need to talk. You need to do both." And she's like, "It's it's not. It's oh, mom." Yeah. yeah. Now your book takes these real events mm-hmm. that happen, these historical events, and you focus on three different women now you called one of them a heroine would it be fair to call all of them heroines or is one no it would uh, so there it's it's told through the points of view of three very different women and they have different positions in and views about positions in and views of the reich we have uh, gundi she is um is the heroine and each of these women represent a different choice that a woman could have made in Germany 1939 were she Gentile. There's Gundi the Resister, and she is secretly pregnant with a Jewish boyfriend's baby. There's, While she's getting her head measured and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wow. what, she's at the doctor's office because she is oh, pregnant. She's pregnant. Okay. Right. Um, and she's not there by choice. Okay. And Irma, who's a nurse, she represents the bystanders in Germany, the people who kept their heads down, like a lot of Germans did, just kind of wanted to mind their own business. Right. She feels really good when she vol- when she goes to work for the Lebensborn program. She thinks she's serving the Reich and helping the, the women. And then she discovers 
the truth about not only the Lebensborn program, but the Nazis, and she has to make a choice. Okay. And then we have Hilda, and she represents the true believers. She's all in, and she's what the Nazis called a, a Hitler girl. She is. Ex- now, they really call her a Hitler girl? Yeah, Hitler girl. That's real. That's somebody who's true blue to the Reich, and, wow. she, and she is excited about being pregnant with a, German, a Nazi officer's baby. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So as you can imagine, Tony, because these women have such different uh, world views, their wants and needs are often in conflict. So as a result, the three of them change the course of one another's lives, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the disastrous. Yeah. So they... They interact. They don't know each other necessarily. They're they not, meet there. They meet there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. So would, do you have any way of knowing, like, in your story, it's a third, a third, a third, because there's three main characters. What percentage were Hitler girls? What percentage were uh, resistors who were kind of forced into this? And what percent were bystanders? In, you... in the program? Uh-huh. Um, I would say most were um, bystanders or... Hitler girls. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was, this wasn't something, this program wasn't something that you were forced to do. Now, Gundy is, she is there under duress, but she is the exception. Most girls volunteer for the program. Not only do they volunteer, Tony, they have to apply to become part of the Lebensborn Society. And what, what was the interview process oh, well, like? <laughs> well, only 40% qualify. And it's not really? a, not an interview process, but it's a racial screening. And what you have to do is, is pass all of their, you know, their color right, right. tests and their measurements. You also have to prove three generations of pure German blood, and three generations of health, which means no physical or mental disabilities. And you're the one who provides the documentation for that. And most were turned away. Who wanted, you know, the pregnant women who wanted to be part of this. Why did they just lie? Um, I can't imagine. Well, it's 1940s, right? I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, I mean... It wasn't that archaic. It wasn't like back in ancient Rome when you had to try and prove your heritage. Well, they would have to come and show baptism records and, um, you know, they, they would have to prove their lineage. Okay. I guess they could forge documents, and I bet you some of them did. did. Hey, you know what? You just gave me a new idea for a book. Chapter two. Uh-huh. The sequel. <laughs> the girls who lied to get in. Yeah. See, that would... And again, I mean, Nazi Germany, although... Lots of people are drawing parallels to things that are happening today. But it's so inconceivable to us. I mean, to me, I equate it to we never thought that someone who would fly a plane into a large building in the United States. I mean, there's no way to prepare for that because we couldn't wrap our heads around it. The thing about Nazi Germany is it did happen. And we still can't wrap our heads around how many people did, in retrospect, what are horrific things. If you believed that you were serving your country, serving your hierarchy of society by having sex with ss soldiers or whatever and getting and now did they often do more than one child or is it just one and done do you know uh, some did more yeah it was a service that they did um wh- there's uh, several ways that young women could serve the reich one of the ways was they would go and work on a farm for a year it was called land service and you'd go out and plow the till the soil and 
plant the crops and pull them up and, and help your countrymen with their farms. And this was just another thing you could do to strengthen the Reich. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and the Reich's goal was world domination, mm-hmm. which is, again, inconceivable. Although, again, you look at Russia and they're expanding and, and they're trying to take over more of the the world. And, and these concepts of of ruling the world are mm-hmm. just so... Well, one of the things I found really interesting in a recent news article was Vladimir Putin is is offering service medals for Russian women who bear 10 healthy children. And no. that is that is straight out of well, it's straight out of Stalin's um, Russia, but it's also straight out of Nazi Germany. In um in 1939, Himmler introduced the Mutter Cross, which is the Mother Cross, and it was a service medal that you could receive. You could get a a um, bronze medal for four children, a silver medal for six, gold was for eight children, and this was a medal that you would wear every single day proudly. And when uh, Members of the Hitler Youth or the girls' arm of the Hitler Youth, was called, which is called the Bundesdeutsche Mädel. When these uh, young people would see you with the medal, they had to salute you as if you were the Führer himself. So that and, and all this is true. I mean, this isn't part of a fictional world you're creating. No, this no, no. This is this is um, this is true. They had a. Uh, a big ceremonies every year where they would award people these Muttercross medals. And they and it was a way to kind of um, create this cult of motherhood where you would you would convince women and men that the most valuable thing, the most powerful thing a woman could do was to create life. And families who had four or more children were called child rich so of course you want to be a child rich do you want to be child poor so um so so (laughs) if you had three children you would either have more or adopt more and guess what you have a whole new domestic supply of infants that have been kidnapped from other countries or birthed through women in the Lebensborn society does it give Um, me any other privileges do i get to go like first in line at the grocery store Wow. It's so much more than first in line at the grocery store. It it shows your importance in the world. Wow. It is um, a way of of elevating your status in the community, and not not only status, but you're looked at and admired for your selflessness and your mm-hmm. um, you know I keep I keep repeating the word service, but right. that's one of the real values of the Nazi. Party was that it's all about the 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 whole rather than the individual, which um, right, yeah, right, yeah. wow, that. which which is actually you know if it was for a higher purpose, I'm no I'm a big fan of community service, right. but not um, right. not this way. <laughs> exactly. Now it's it's funny because I I learned a lot from you last time we talked, but you didn't. I don't remember mentioning the Hitler girls, the Hitler boys. But and what were they called? Bundesdeutsche Mädel. It means the. Mädel. It's the League of German Girls. Hmm. And and what what was their? 
So they had, in many ways, uh, a similar curriculum to the the um, Hitler Youth or the Hitler Jungen. Right. Um, they learned um, they learned about they learned Nazi propaganda, Nazi Aryan history. They did go um, camping and orienteering and learned like scouting skills, but then. It became very gendered at a at a point, right. and while the boys were learning like how to do um, war drills, I mean it was really military sure. training. The girls were learning how to be good mothers. They were um, t- how to be good hus- how to be good wives. There was a bride school for for young German girls. I long for that. Can we? No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> so what you're describing. I call the good old days. You're awful. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who knows knows I'm joking. I know. Okay, I know. Just want to make sure. Uh, but that's uh, it's that's that's inconceivable to me. This whole yeah, thing. And, yeah. And, and, the, and and they they the the girls collected money for the war. They sewed. They they you know it was it was a racket, man. No. The Nazis had the, they had their workers. They had these kids working for them, doing their dirty work for free. Wow. Collecting scrap metal. So, all right, let's um let's zag. Okay. We're going to zag to gonna America. We're going to zig and we're going to zag. No, no, we're not zigging. Oh, we're zagging. Yes. Okay. We're zagging. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> in America, Rosie the Riveter mm-hmm. um and children collecting scrap metal. Mm-hmm. What's the difference besides we're the good guys? Well, um Let's see, boy. That's you're gonna with Rosie the Riveter. Well, it's both serving the war effort. Right. I guess it's that America had a righteous cause, and a, we were yeah. defending liberty, and our collecting scrap metal was so that we can defend freedom. And I will say, I do. I love Rosie the Riveter. I do have some. Um, problems with the way the United States worked on dismissing women workers when the war was over. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I felt like that was, they ran a pretty, pretty successful propaganda campaign to get women out of the workforce and into the home. But, um, you know, but that's that's small potatoes we're yeah. talking about a, a genocidal horrific um a, a horrific culture yeah, it was I just a thought exercise i don't get too riled up i'm not you, you look like you're mad at me i'm not mad at you <laughs> but i just i mean the comparison it's a it's a um I think it's an unfair comparison. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's a fair comment. And I think that it is an unfair comparison. I, again, it was just a thought exercise. And I think that intent and the end game is everything. Mm-hmm. And our end game at that point, when I say our, I mean the United States, was protect freedom, protect against Nazi expansion and mm-hmm. things like that. And then the Nazi end game was Nazis rule the world and anybody not blonde hair, blue eyes is an inferior if not dead yeah yeah didn't have to be didn't have to be blonde hair blue eyes i mean that's who they kidnapped for sure isn't it ironic that hitler and himmler and so many of the top men were short yes with dark hair um and you know hitler had blue eyes but some of them some of them certainly didn't check the boxes for the master race yeah it's and Goebbels walked with a limp. He had a club foot. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Really? See, now, and Goebbels would probably advocate that Goebbels be minimized 
if not gotten rid of. I mean, I didn't, you know, somebody like him who had a club foot, who had a deformity, who had a whatever, he would he would not want them in a leadership role. But well, I I, yeah. I, I beg to differ because really? yeah, because if he if he didn't feel that a person like him should be in a leadership role, he wouldn't have accepted the leadership role. Interesting. I think I mean, he do as I say, not as I he do. He embraced that position. Hmm. Now, how did he treat other people with physical shortcomings? Um, terribly. Uh, absolutely terribly. I mean, that was... When I say for children, for healthy children, for fit, racially fit children... Um, that's, that's, there are criteria for that. Huh. You, you, not only physical criteria, but if you say, Tony, I have, a, I have four children. Okay. And one of them is a communist, just decides that they don't like the Nazi party. They join the communist party. I don't get my mooch across. Ah. So you have to have a whole nother kid. <laughs> I do. Or maybe, you know, a communist, yes. Or, or, or how about this? There was one mother who was disqualified from receiving a motocross because she rented a room to a mixed race couple. Wow. In her guest house. Wow. Yeah. That's bananas. Right. So there was a lot of social pressure then because now other mothers observe that that's a disqualification and they know they know to fall in line. Right. And not it's it's redlining, you know, it's saying That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's redlining. Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. I see so so this is great. All this stuff's coming up that I had not considered. So my mom had four kids. Mhm. And it's the reverse of what you're saying. Instead of one being, you know, not qualified or whatever, three of them are not qualified. And I'm the only one who would probably be accepted into the master race. My brothers and sisters are all very dumb and very limited. And Now, when you say dumb... <laughs> they know what I mean. Well, dumb is not a disqualifier. You oh, do it's not? No, you don't have to pass an intelligence test. I mean, my oh. God. If you... If you believe half of the things that the Nazis spewed, you have limited critical thinking abilities. That's so true. so that's a that was a nation of dummies, frankly. Yeah. So I mean I'm just saying my siblings I should say wait, let me qualify that. Okay. It was not a nation it was a party of dummies because there that's are a fair. lot of good Germans and a lot of righteous Gentiles who risked their lives to save people. Yeah. So And me comparing my dumb siblings is just a joke. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> They're just, they're not bright. I love them to death, but none of them are smart. And my sisters don't ever listen. And my brother hardly ever listens. So I'm safe in saying whatever I want. Okay. Like, <laughs> well, if you look at the upper echelons of uh, the Nazi party, there were, some of them were no great scholars. Yeah. No, I think in order to be so deeply indoctrinated into virtually anything, you have to really lack a critical thinking connection or mm -hmm. template or something you know mm -hmm. and, and and when you when you accept very straight line dogma it it's never right okay <laughs> no matter what it is it's never right right you know because there's there's no straight lines in in the world there's no there's no straight lines and the, the people who bang the gavel the hardest for straight lines are dumb dumb's my word for the day okay this show was sponsored by yeah. the word dumb, dumb. I don't know if I like that, that the show I'm on is sponsored. 
<laughs> All right. All let's right. go. Let's keep talking. This is the dumbest show ever. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, you say you're going on a book tour. That's great. Now, as a publicist, do you publicize your work differently than you would publicize, say, my work? I don't publicize my work. I, you know, like like the the person who doesn't represent themselves in court, I don't represent myself. Um, oh. I hire a professional to do that. Not that I'm not a professional. I no, I'm a professional, but I, um, I want somebody else because I can't call. Um, yeah. I can't call places and say this is the greatest book. We well, should hear my publicist. She's wonderful. If I listened to her, I would feel like a million bucks. <laughs> I can't call and say and that say kind that. of thing. Yeah. I can advocate fiercely for my clients. For myself, um, no, I 100% get it. it yeah, it's so arrogant. Yeah, it's so interesting. It just lacks. This is kind of fertile. Do you, do you, are you happy with your publicist? Oh, I love her. Okay. I now, absolutely now, love her. I need a publicist. You or her? Um, it depends what you want. She, what <laughs> she's doing is she is booking events for me around the country. She's fantastic. She has me at um, uh, luncheons, country clubs. Uh, temples, churches, women's clubs. I'm going to a retirement community. I'm bookstores. I'm going to a lot of different places that have built-in audiences. Well, that's brilliant because in my for my last few books, what I did was I called up a bookstore and I said, "Can I please do a signing?" And then I would try to get people there, right. and then I would sit there at a table. And the question that I answered most frequently was, where is the bathroom? <laughs> um, so it's lonely, it's humiliating, and I don't want to do that again. So she finds me places where people are, like I'm going to the Hadassah Bagels and Brunch Luncheon, and that's um, in, in Los Angeles. And they're already meeting, it's already their annual um, oh, breakfast, so nice. I'm excited to talk to Hadassah. Now, assuming this book is a tremendous success, which I have every confidence it will be. Wow, I'm glad you do. I do. I have, I have no doubt. I'm so glad you said that because I was having an anxiety attack before I got here. But anyway, okay. let me not interrupt you. Go okay. on, Tony. No, no. Interrupt away. It's the dumbest show ever. So, <laughs> <laughs> Has there been... It's, this sounds... And I, I might sound like a cretin here, but it sounds like it would be a great movie. And I think it would be much more accessible... To a lot of people as a movie are you talking about that at all are you thinking about it or thank you so much i i have been told that they that when people have read early copies of it they say you know i see this it's a very visually evocative yeah. um, book and i see it as a movie so i am open steven spielberg if you are if listening, listening he is call my agent baby we can steve. work something steve we can work something out <laughs> but you know it's it's uh, gosh my mom called me god bless her she's 83 years old and she is just delightful but she called me the other day and she was kind of yelling at me a little bit about like why why are you not why is Steven Spielberg not making your movie and I'm like I don't I it's not because I turned him down right, right. It's I not, did not return his call I, like what are you talking she said this should be a movie and I'm like oh, oh 
thank you, mom. Why right. are you why are you <laughs> mad, are you mad at, me? at me? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So we'll see. Usually these type of things happen after a book is released. Okay. Sometimes some lucky souls get yeah. deals before um, their books are released. But um, I don't know. I have another month till it comes out. We'll see. Wow, that's a whole other month. Mm-hmm. I thought it was September. October. October 11th. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. People can pre-order the book now. I and, already have. And in fact, well, thank you. I already have. I'll, th- I'll tell you, that's super helpful. Um, it's super helpful to me, to, I'll be honest. But it's right. also, I mean, like, great. You, you'll get the book hot off the press. You'll be in the know. You're on the yeah. cutting edge of what's going on. <laughs> yes, um, on the but really, <laughs> but really, I mean, really, you're, you're, do, you're, you're doing me such a solid if you pre-order the book. And I'll tell you why. Um, week one in, in book sales is is really important. If you can come out of the gate strong, it sends a nice message to the book world. So if anybody is listening to this and they're like, you know what? I'm going to read that. Um, I'm going to buy that book. If, if you want to just get it sooner rather than later, I no. sure would appreciate now, it. Now, I know a couple people who run book clubs, and they do listen. Yeah, great. And this would be a great book club. Mandy, I know your book club would like this if you listen to <laughs> Mandy. You know, one of the nicest compliments that I got was um, the book was reviewed by Kirkus, and it got a great review. And the, the quote that I loved the most was, let's see, it's this book is a deep well of topics for book discussions for book club discussions so i really appreciated that and i am with an organization called novel network it's a local business and what they do is they have hundreds of authors who are willing to go to your book club you as a book club it's free for you 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 log on you see like oh i want to have um kate quinn come to my book club i want to have jennifer coburn come to my book club and you book it and we come to your book club either what? virtually. Yeah, it's a wonderful idea. Susan That's Macbeth. That's a great idea. Yeah, Susan Macbeth is a local business person here. She runs Adventures by the Book, which they do e- book events, literary events. So say you have a book called uh, One Italian Summer, which is is actually a book and she would have it here at a local italian restaurant you'd get to meet the author it's a more intimate setting Uh than than going to it's for people who want something a little bit different than going to a bookstore she also will take people take groups overseas on literary adventures she took she took a, uh, a group of 20 to germany she took them to thailand she's taken oh i don't know about 50 overseas trips and local trips uh, um, domestic trips she goes to um alaska she's doing a new york city trip soon so if you're a if you're a book lover i would just highly uh, urge encourage you to uh, look up adventuresbythebook.com and on that site you'll also see Novel Network. It's a great way to connect with authors. Awesome. That is awesome. I had uh, Jonathan Evison on recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with him or Lawn Boyd, which is the second most banned book or requested to be banned book in the nation, which I'm hoping with after my podcast we can get him to number one. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but one of the things I noticed in his book was at the end, it has questions for discussion, mm-hmm. which I had not seen in a book. And maybe I just stopped reading, you know, before all the stuff at the end, mm-hmm. but I, I, that was unfamiliar to me. And you say for a, a book club, is that, is that something you do? Do you put questions for discussion? In? Yeah, I have a reader's guide in the back of my novel. Okay. I also have an author's note, which 
explains, you know, why was I interested in the Lebensborn program? How did I do my research? How did I get into this? And I have to say, I was really surprised, delightfully surprised, that I'm getting nice comments on the author's note, which people are like, oh, I really like the book. And that author's note is, tr-. and I'm like, geez, my author's right. note. So I'm really um, tickled and, and just I'm just so grateful that people read the book, that they enjoy it, and that they acknowledge the the work that I put into it and and then um, outline in the author's note. So when did you get your release date? Because I know you had it when we talked last time, which was probably getting close to a year ago. When did I get the release date? I don't know. I mean, mean, when you told me last time, oh, it's it's been at least a year because you said October and October, blah, 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 2022. And I'm right. like, wait, 2022? Right. So the book was finished, I, I'm assuming. Ish. Okay. And then so so does that delayed release date factor in? Does it build in time for final edits? For... So typically the lead time is is about a year. Okay. Mine was 18 months. I have a friend, Luke Dumas, who has his debut novel coming out. It's called The History of Fear. And I was so jealous when I saw that he has a release date in December. And I was like, Luke, you got your deal like a year after me. So, so <laughs> it varies. It's, well, you know, man. <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> um, but it varies. But mine was a long lead time, 18 months. I, I think it probably had a lot to do with the pandemic. And, oh, yeah, okay. um, and then some people have really short lead times. And during that 18-month lead time, I submitted a full manuscript. And the publisher bought it. And they said, we'll, we'll do some, you know, we'll make some suggestions, right. make changes, we'll make a cover. So in that 18 months, we worked on our, our final revisions and, um, and things like the cover and, um, did you have any input in any of that? Yeah. That, my publisher is amazing. I have to give a huge shout out to Sourcebooks. Sourcebooks is um, a publisher based out of Chicago. They do a lot of great historical fiction. They've just published um, Christina McMorris's new book, The Ways We Hide. Her last book sold on a Monday, sold a million copies. What? So not jealous at all. No, um, you don't look n- it. No, actually, <laughs> no, no, you, I, actually I'm really happy for her. Are, she is a great book. Book. She's a lovely person and a gifted writer, so all the best to her. Um, and they have another book called um, When Franny Stands Up. That's about a uh, stand-up comedian during World War II. If you look at their list, wow. their historical fiction from their landmark Im- imprint is just, it'll knock your socks off. So the thing that I, one of the things that I love about Sourcebooks is that they did send me six options for the cover. And they said, just knock out the ones you hate. So I said, you know, I, I hate this one, I hate that one. So then we were down to four. And then they did, you know, I don't even know what they did. They said, we're going to, um, what was the word they, they were not test these, but they did, they did some, yeah. they did some magic behind the scenes. <laughs> and they told me that um, based on their research, this cover is the one that is going to really let readers know 
um, what this book is about emotionally and content wise. So I said, that's great because that's the one I love. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. So, but it's nice to know that there was data behind it yeah. rather than just, yeah. I have a hunch this is pretty. Right. I like so it. Yeah. They are an extremely data driven company and I, and I, love that about them nice that's that's awesome one of the things i struggle with as a writer is choosing a name of a character choosing a name of a of a business choosing you know the things like that and just the name and invariably whatever name i end up going with after a while becomes that character it Mm -hmm. becomes that person but it's it's such a little thing that i struggle with the idea of picking a cover (laughs) for you know there's zero there's no chance i probably won't ever ever even look at it and i'll just say i trust you go put out what you want to put out Mm -hmm. and then after i'm a million selling author and i have some you know stand then the second one i'll say no 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 this is the cover we're using and everybody's name is bob so (laughs) (laughs) because that's the juice i'm gonna have oh wow yeah look at you with your swagger i'm gonna have juice and yeah yeah well you're good for you I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stay a little more real than that, Tony. Yeah, well, we we see real differently. Uh-huh. Your real is dumb because no, no, <laughs> no. That's the theme of the show. Okay. My reality is giant and grandiose. Hey, I wish you the best with it, and I'd love to be. I'd love for this book to be a giant success. But uh, if and when I'm lucky enough for that to happen, I, I really think it's important to remember who who brought you. Yeah, Tony on the mic is the primary reason. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think we should forget who, you know, who did a kick-ass marketing job for you? Who designed a gorgeous cover for you? Who told you what scene was missing from your book? Who, I mean, you know, it's it's such a, you know what's funny? It's like my name is on the book and I feel almost guilty about it because there were so many collaborators who had such an important role in this book that um it just seems unfair that there's yeah. one yeah. you know that's just no and and obviously i'm joking again to throw a disclaimer out there i i am nothing and i'm sorry it's warm in here with the air the humidity i can't turn on because of the noise and we're almost done it's it's fine <laughs> you're it's sweating fine. It, you know what <laughs> It's so, not the heat. You're making me incredibly nervous. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. That's my job. Uh-huh. But I, I agree 100%. And my, do you know who, oh, do you know who Graham Yost is? He's a showrunner and he does a couple of the Americans. He did Justified. Uh, he's done several shows that I love, that I love. Mm-hmm. He's probably done three of my top 10 favorite series of all time. Okay. And uh, I've reached out to him anonymous you know just to say hey you are exactly who i want to be mm-hmm. he's respected in the industry he's wildly successful and nobody knows who he is and he can go to the grocery store he can go to a baseball game he can go and somebody says dude aren't you Graham Yost?" you know <laughs> then then it'll be like hey cool and those people who do know him it would be cool and that's how that's how i want to be i don't want to be DiCaprio famous. I don't want to be, you know, Brad Pitt, Stephen King as an author, you know, famous. I want to be very successful and respected. And I, despite my bravado and, and everything as a character, as a as a shtick, I'm all about, hey, so and so did this, so and so did that, you know. And it's and it's okay. I don't, 
I don't need the credit, just the money. <laughs> you know what I need, Tony? What do you need? I need people to know that the Lebensborn program existed, why it existed, and and how it operated so that we can see early warning signs of the rise of fascism. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just want everybody to know about this untold story, untold chapter in history. That's awesome. Now, now, okay, so that's a pretty big departure from your past works. Yeah, isn't so, it? <laughs> so what, what, what caused this jet ramp offshoot right so my last book was a mother-daughter travel memoir called we'll always have paris before that six romantic comedies so uh writing about nazis not the next natural career step for me um i'm sorry and before you get tell me why what how was your agent react or do you have the same agent no different agent okay Okay. Mm -hmm. then never mind yeah um (laughs) i found a different agent who who really um loves feminist historical fiction okay and um so yeah it's a huge departure but my i got i was in an interview the other day and somebody said why did you decide to change genres and i said i didn't i didn't think i'm going to write historical fiction in fact i was very intimidated about the prospect of writing historical fiction but I couldn't stop thinking about the Lebensborn program. I wanted to know how it operated. Where were these homes? Why, why would a woman have sex with a man she just met just to produce a child for Hitler? It. I just couldn't wrap my head around it, and I wanted to understand it better. So I did what I always do. Well, again, do you understand it better? Do I do, like absolutely. Do? Okay. I So I did what I always do when I want to understand a period of history. I looked for a well-researched historical novel. And while I found several nonfiction books, there were no novels. Hmm. So I decided to write the book that I wanted to read with a book club. And I really hesitated for a while. For I had a couple weeks lag time when I went through the whole imposter syndrome with, am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Am I enough enough? And here's what happened that just was a game changer for me. As we may have discussed last time, I tutor at a group called Reality Changers, which helps um, students high school students, low-income high school students who want to become the first in their families to attend college. And I just love these kids, and I love working with them and and walking this path with them. And we keep in touch afterward. That's awesome. And that is fantastic. I, oh, it's wonderful. One of them called me from the first day of school and told me what he learned in class today. Wow. And it was <laughs> It was just so fun. But one student, Martha Montoyo, called me and and I'm just sitting here wringing my hands thinking can I possibly do this and she called me and she's like Jennifer I'm at UCSD I'm walking across campus and I'm going to office hours because you always told me that I need to go to office hours and visit you know and talk to my professor I just have one question for you what am I supposed to do when I get to office hours (laughs) And I thought, well, well, yeah, well, isn't that just perfect? Here is Martha. She doesn't know what she's doing. And, 
And it doesn't, and it's and, not stopping yep. her from literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I we are not talking metaphors. She is walking toward the unknown and figuring it out as she goes. So if he, if I got this nineteen-year-old kid showing me how it's done, yeah. I think I can do it too. Yeah. So I I said, all right, I'm going to do this. And I was so intimidated by the prospect that I, that I, um, and I read every book on historical fiction. I talked to my historical fiction writer friends, and I really um, dove in with great passion. A passion wasn't a new thing for me, but the the research was really new. But I asked for help. And I got it. And I was shocked at the places that I got it from. I mean, people who were like tons of letters after their names, like they're, they're the yeah. leading expert in Holocaust studies. And 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 uh, one this one pro- professor of propaganda. Now, how, and did you, how did you find these people? I just Googled uh. and I found the people. I, like I Googled and I said, oh, you know, this Professor Randall Bytwerk, that name keeps coming up in lectures on propaganda, archives of op- propaganda. So I found his email and I thought, well, here's a hell of a lot of nerve. I'm going to email him and ask him if I can <laughs> run some thoughts by him just to make sure I've got it right. Yeah. And he said, sure. And, w- and, and he Every time I emailed him, he would send me um, answers like, yes, you've got that right. Here is a map. All right, I'll, sh- I'll tell you, share one thing with you. Okay. So here's another wacky detail of Nazi culture. When babies are born, they have a naming ceremony. And there are several Nazi officials and the adoptive parents or the birth parents. No, this is just from the... Pro- project? Or no, no. Every to every, every child, okay. they have this naming ceremony. A Nazi officer who is officiating, he pulls a sword from his scabbard, places the tip of the sword on the baby's belly, and names him or her a member of the Nazi party in good standing. So cool. I am writing a scene. Oh, I said I have to include a scene yes. with that. So I reached out to Dr. Bytwerk, and I said, um, I see in all of these naming ceremony pictures that I am looking at, I'm seeing that they all have a similar tablecloth, and they all have dried flowers. Is that a coincidence? And he said, no. Here is the map of what the table needed to look like. Here's the, here are the dried flowers as they are in relation to the Fuhrerbild, which is a portrait of Adolf Hitler. And here's what tablecloth he had to use. Here's where the mattress would go. And here's a, and he sent me a map of this. So I, they had a picture of Hitler at the naming ceremony. No, no, Hitler's not there. Oh, yes, yes. They had a, a portrait of Hitler. Portrait, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Okay. He was central. It okay. had to be in the middle of the table. So... Randall Bytwerk just helped me out, just gave made me his student of propaganda. Then there was also, okay, so so these little teeny cultural details. So they are really they 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 were fascinating and they came up on every single page. So those are kind of the big ones. Or like there's the naming ceremony, there's the propaganda, there's the battles, there's the treaties. But then I would come to a scene tony where i'd have a man put on his pants and i was like well does he button them zip them or snap them so then that leads to snap snap i'm guessing snap button Ah. 
that leads to a whole uh, night of researching, right. you know, the, the history of the zipper. Right. And I found out that, yes, yeah, zippers are around, but they weren't used in uniforms because of the class. So, so for cultural details, I, th- I really felt like I got, I, I did as much research as I could on my own. But then I had to run it by an older German to see what I missed and what questions I didn't even know right I would I should that, have asked that'd be the hardest part is you because know, you don't know what you don't know it, absolutely right. uh, so so I had to, I had a couple people that really helped me on that um, I had a food historian which who knew this was a thing not me so in chapter two I have Hilda coming home she smells that her mother is making hassenpfeffer which is a braised hair stew isn't that also what they said? Laverne, Laverne and Shirley. Shirley yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a braised hair stew, and it you they use red wine and bacon, so it's a real there's a real aroma in the house, and I called Ursula Heinzelman is an expert in food history and specializes in German food history. Oh. A lovely person. <laughs> And a generous scholar. So I asked her, my question was, hey, this scene takes place in April. Would they be eating a hot meal like rabbit stew during the spring? And she said, yeah, that's not your problem, though. Your problem is that rabbit hunting season ends in December. So where are they going to get a rabbit? So I said, all right, well, this is a high-ranking Nazi family. They don't have to follow the normal rules. Could they have just shot the rabbit whenever they wanted to? She said, well, they could, but the rabbits would just be coming out of hibernation, which means that they're not plump and juicy enough for Nobody a stew. Wants a Nobody wants a stew. And she said the meat would be stringing. So these types of details, I'll give you another one. Do we have time for oh, another one? Yes. It's... All right. So I made friends with a 90-year-old man in the community who was a Gentile German man. And he, he was a Gentile German boy. Uh, in Berlin in 1938 during the pogroms that the Nazis called Kristallnacht. That was the night where, uh, you remember, throughout Germany and Austria, the the uh, citizens of the country broke glass windows and they yes. graffitied and they killed people and yeah. they burned tin- synagogues. He was... Not there, but he walked around Berlin the morning after. So he was a great source of information, not only about the details, but about the ethos of the country at that time. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, because he was great. He didn't try to revise his own history. He didn't say to me, oh, yes, Jennifer, I was a seven-year-old leader of the resistance. (laughs) He said... I was a member of the Deutsche Jungen, which is the baby arm of the Hitler Youth. And I loved Hitler. Wow. Oh, he doesn't love Hitler now. No, no, now no. he understands that yeah, he whole, was... That's amazing. Well, it's very. it was very helpful to me because I was able to say, why? Right. Why did you love Hitler? And he explained to me that when he joined the Deutsche Jungen, it was to defend Germany against the Jews because he was indoctrinated at a very young age through books like Der Gilfpilz, which is the poisonous mushroom. And that's a, a, a friendly little book that teaches children <laughs> that Jews are like poisonous mushrooms. They may look 
harmless, but they wow. are poison to the Volk. So, and then they had games like Judenraus, which means Jews out. And this is a family board game like Monopoly. I need to find a way to convey my mouth open in shock as you Yeah, a big shock <laughs> emoji. And families would play this game. The object of the game, Tony, was to run six Jewish people off to Palestine. And when you do that, you win. Judenraus, fun for the whole family. So Parker he, Brothers? So he was, he was part of this culture. And to hear him speak candidly about... What was going through his mind helped me shape my characters of the um, the indifferent, you know, the bystander, right, right. and the Hitler girl. Yeah. So that was really helpful. But when I called Rolf, it was for a small detail. I had a flashback scene where Irma, the nurse, is remembering when her beloved Helmut proposed marriage to her back in 1918 or 1913 or whenever it was. And I thought, okay, they're in Frankfurt. There's that beautiful fountain of justice there. Wouldn't it be charming if Helmut tossed a fennig, which is a penny, into the, into the fountain and made a wish that Irma would be his wife? So I thought, all right, I know that I need to check. If, is that a custom? Do Germans throw coins into fountains to make a wish? So I called Rolf and he said, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Why is a German throwing money away? And I said, no, no, it's just, and I explained to him, it's just right, to make right. a wish. Do you, do you guys do that? It's just a fennig. And he said to me, you listen to me. If you have a German throwing a coin, even a fennig, into a fountain, your next scene better be six Germans jumping into that fountain to fight over that. Wow. So it, those examples with the rabbit stew and the, the coin in the fountain, right. it was an example of asking the wrong question yeah. or asking one question and realizing, oh, I didn't even I, di I didn't even think right. of what the answer would, would be really. So knowing that, <laughs> knowing that I asked many wrong questions. I wouldn't say wrong, but right, I asked yeah. I asked question A when it was really a long and winding road and question right. R was what right. I really needed to, to right. ask. But knowing that, I said, I got to have a set of German eyes read this whole thing start to finish and tell me what I missed, tell me what I got wrong. So did you ever see the movie The Reader? Kate Winslet, she's in a bathtub. She's an old Nazi guard and Liam Neeson is her young no, friend who re reads to her no it's I'm called a, anyway I'm the book is written by bernhard schlink who is arguably the greatest living german author what nerve i have now that i <laughs> now that i look at this i'm like was i crazy i reached out to bernhard schlink and i said hey i'm writing this book on the nazi lebensborn program and i explained to him what i was doing and i said could i send you my entire manuscript <laughs> and you read it and tell me what I got <laughs> and wrong. Give me some notes. And give me some notes. And I said, I'll pay you for your time. Sure. Oh, okay. You know, good. oh, come no, on. You right. don't, you don't, you yeah. don't I know. call somebody and say, do five you hours. You ask a friend, right, to do that. That's just rude. Right. I mean, but still nervy. I mean, he's yeah. not like he needs my money. No. So 
I sent him, this is how old school he is. I said, okay, I'll email you the file. He said, no, 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 I don't want a file. I want you to go to the post office and send it to me printed it out and sent it to him and we had a, uh, a session on FaceTime where he told me the little details that I needed to adjust to make it culturally and linguistically authentic which was really important to oh, me yeah. if you're going to write a book about a Nazi program and some of your characters are going to be Nazi resistors and vulnerable to the threats of violence from the Reich, you better get it right. This is not something you can go into lightly. You have to give this project, a project like this, the respect that it deserves. And I needed to step up my game as a writer, as a researcher, to make sure that I did, um, I did right by this, uh, by the, the people who suffered under the Nazis. And, um, and the and my readers like I want these re I want readers to know if I say there were dried flowers yes, on the yes, table there yes, were dried flavored flowers yes. on the table and if you and if there weren't it's gonna be in the um, in the author's note right no and that's important and I think that gets lost and I think that it's okay sometimes for things to get lost for dramatic effect and everything but like in superhero movies. Or, you know, or different things. But I think in something like this, the more authentic, it's, it's just important. And then when people, I think too often we as a society will read something, whether it be a blurb on social media, whether it be an internet, whether it be a book, whether it be a movie, and we assume that this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And I don't think enough people take the integrity approach, I'm going to call it, that you take to make sure that if I say it, it's accurate. It well, happens. I will say historical fiction authors that I know really take their jobs extraordinarily seriously nice. and they do the work. They travel to the places that they um, are writing about. They call in the experts. I, I just did a panel with Christine McMor Christina McMorris who, who um, just released her book, um, The Ways We Hide, and she consulted with 20 different experts to make sure she got the facts right. And, and um, that's important, and I really respect that. Yeah, no. And so does Susan Meisner. So does, I mean, I could list. Are I, you going to go to Frankfurt and do a reading there? How do you think you'd be treated if you went over to Germany after this blows up and becomes a giant book and a giant movie and a giant everything? I think it will be different depending on the audience. audience. I think Germany has done, in general, an excellent job at making you know, I don't want to say making amends for their past because there is no amends right, for a genocide. Right. But, but they are, you know, they they pay reparations to their former slaves and their victims' families, and they um, have many monuments to the victims of the Holocaust. They make it illegal to deny the Holocaust. They wow. make it illegal to, uh, you can't, you can't fly a Nazi flag. And in the schools, the, the children are taught the sins of their country without whitewashing it with, yeah. I mean, they, they take ownership of it. This is not to say there's no anti-Semitism and this is not to say there's no problems in Germany. There is, right, right. but there is a real effort to, um, to, 
make sure that this never happens again. So how do I think I would be received? I think some people would be really open to hearing this. I think most people would. And I think some people would absolutely hate it and and are sick of hearing about the Holocaust. See, and that's, that's, again, like anything, you know, I'm sorry that the truth and facts and history make you uncomfortable, you know, and I'm sorry you're tired of hearing about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, well, you know, obviously we're having that right now. You know, I have a friend who, um, she, I, I forgot what the, the interaction was on social media, but the bottom line message for her, for her is she said on her, uh, on her post, she said, if you are sick of hearing about uh, anti-black violence and racism, imagine how tired I am of experiencing it. Yes, that's perfect. Yes. That's perfect. So shout out to Alicia Wilkins for, Alicia! for that for that gem. You can't see me, but I'm raising the fist, Alicia. <laughs> she, she's with you, Tony. All right. Good all to right. know. Good to know. Yeah. Now, we talked about my dad being a freedom writer. And all mm-hmm. that. Okay. Yeah. I just, just want to make sure that because, you know, I never want to miss an opportunity to say my dad marched with Martin Luther King and we have pictures of them together. That's fantastic. I always, I always like to say that. Uh, and he he does listen. My dad listens. Hey, so, what's his name? Richard, Richard Lawrence. Hey, Richard. <laughs> Mr. Lawrence. Is he a Mr. Lawrence kind uh, of guy? Or Reverend Lawrence sometimes. Reverend but Lawrence. I think, I think he's like Richard. I think he was I think he was was a, a Reverend Lawrence and now I, th- I think he's a Richard now. I think okay. he likes the, the thing. So he'll, Sounds good. He'll hear that. And and he'll buy your book cuz he's a reader. Thank you, Richard. All right, we are at that time. Oh no. Yeah. Oh sh- I like talking about the book and the Lebensborn. You're not going to ask me for my my favorite snack or whatever. No, we're going to. Well, sort of. You've convicted. You've been convicted of a capital crime. I no, I haven't. Yes, you have. You may be innocent, but you've been convicted. And you have a final meal. What's your final meal? It depends. It depends on the day. Um, I would say lobster Cantonese. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a good choice. Reminds me of my dad, who I guess I would be seeing shortly. Yeah. My father passed away in 1986, so lobster Cantonese to get me in the right headspace to go have see. That waiting for you. Oh well, yeah. So I guess I should I should have something else. Well, well, heck, I've been go- I'll be going to heaven since I um, yes. I'm like the only Jewish person that believes in heaven. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, oh, what am I going to have? Uh, you can have your lobster cannonese. All right, lobster yeah. cannonese. And what movie are you going to watch? Um, what movie am I going to watch? Yeah. While you eat your meal. You're eating your lobster cannonese. You're watching. Um, I'm going to watch Idiocracy. Okay. Idiocracy. All right. That movie is so good. Oh, it's so good that the first time I saw it, I had to just rewind. Yeah. That's how yes. long ago I saw it. I had to <laughs> rewind and watch it again because the little details yes. were yes. amazing. Like when, when Maya Rudolph, it's Maya Rudolph, yes. who, yes. when Maya Rudolph is, is in the future and she hands somebody money, I had to stop the second time and say, what does that money say? And it's a picture of of the president, yeah. C- President Camacho, Camacho. <laughs> and it says, hauling ass and getting paid. <laughs> I did not know that. Well, I didn't watch that closely, but I knew it had a picture of Camacho. Yeah. I, I saw that. This is, the movie is brilliant. There's so much little stuff in it. Yeah, then... Uh, so I will feel, I would feel like I would laugh, yeah. and then I would feel like, all right, well, 
It's a crazy world that's convicted me and innocent. And innocent, yes. Of the crime, whatever crime. Whatever, capital crime. And then what song is going to play y'all? I'm going to choose In My Life. By? Um, the Beatles, There Are Places oh, okay. I Remember. Is that- there Are Places I Remember. Thank you. You're welcome. My guest today <laughs> has been not dumb, Jennifer. This was the dumb show. We labeled it such as earlier, but it's not because of the guests, it's because of the host. I'm a dumb host. I thought you were terrific, Tony. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Even though you hated the last question. No, I don't. I just, I, it's, it's not you. I just, I always feel, I always you know feel how many stumped. Times I've heard, it's not you, it's me. Well, not That's in it. this context. <laughs> It's probably why a very nice woman is dumping your ass. Uh, every day. No, my wife is not dumping me. I hope. At least not today. Please not today. It's been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to do it. Please check out Jennifer Coburn Books on Facebook. And Instagram. Instagram. And if you go to jennifercoburn.com, you'll see my whole um, schedule of events. So if you are in one of the cities that I am coming to, I'd love to meet you. Jennifercoburnbooks.com, correct? No, no, it's just jennifercoburn.com. Yeah. Okay, jennifercoburn.com. Check out her schedule and show up with a Tony on the mic hat or shirt or something and say, hey, I heard you on Tony on the mic. Or just say Tony sent me. That'll work. But Tony on the mic then gets everybody going, Tony on the mic, what's that? Uh See? Oh, you are strategic. Oh, you are. Always working. You're all about the hustle. Always closing. (laughs) That is going to do it. But check out the book. If you have not ordered it, order it. It sounds fantastic. I am looking forward to it. I've had it on order for a while. I'm... uh, I really I'm, appreciate I'm that. Listen, you, I could sit here and talk um, about the I'm labels all more in. all day I'm long. In, I'm in town. Okay, wait. I'm, before you, before <laughs> wow. you do that, give me the elevator pitch. Because mm-hmm. so, I've been telling people it's a combination of Handmaid's Tale meets uh, Sound of Music meets Swing Kids. Huh, that's really, that's pretty awesome, Tony. And listen, you, I could sit here and talk about the Labensborn all day long. I'm Literally. In, I, I'm just kidding. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see how it is. Okay. So, the, my elevator pitch? Yeah, I mean, to, to, if, if someone say, well, what's it about? Okay. How can you... So, so Cradles of the Reich is a historical novel about uh, three... Gee. Uh, Don't read me a press conference. Talk to me. Come on. Give me some energy. That I have energy. Oh, okay. To, all right. All right. I am sitting Please. in a. I am sitting in your studio. Sauna. Where, by the way, <laughs> by the way, your email said that that it was the subject line was I have air conditioning. I did, but I had to turn it off for the for the recording. I tried mm-hmm. to cool it down early enough. Mm-hmm. Early. Okay. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, back to your elevator right, pitch. I so I, I, that is my elevator okay. pitch. It's it's a historical so. novel. It's about three very different women who meet at a Nazi Lebensborn program. And then I tell folks what the program is, the three parts of it, and that they're um, the number of... Ch- you know what? I did my elevator you pitch did, for you. Um, so 
the one of the greatest compliments that I got was from Kate Quinn, the historical novelist who said who blurbed the book, and she said it's Handmaid's Tale meets World War II. So you're right that it's Handmaid's Tale meets Swing Kids meets The Sound of Music. Um, somebody on Goodreads, and by the way, folks, if you're on Goodreads and you love Cradles of the Reich, I sure would appreciate a review on Goodreads. I'm on Goodreads. I will look for your review. I can't review it until I get it. No, that's not true. You can review it right now. Oh, oh, you know, oh, oh, no, no. Okay. I was going to say, that would be kind of disingenuous. No, 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 no. This no, is you... the best book I ever read. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you No, know, no, I'm sorry. I thought you meant you, you're, uh, I apologize. Okay. So I'd say that your elevator pitch is pretty spot on, Tony. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Then I will, I will continue to say that. But I think people forget The Sound of Music. When I watched it as a kid, it was all... High on a hill with a lonely goat herd. And and then... As hey, you... I want to just say, goat herd. I see you. See? Most people say goat. No. You knew it was a goat Come herd. On. Hey, Tony on the mic. Well, some people on the mic call it a goat. <laughs> but it's it's so much more. It's so dark. And, and when Rolf blows the whistle, you know, and turns it... Spoiler alert, it came out in like the 50s. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, go watch the movie. But it's so... It's so dark and so subtle. A lot of the conversations, which I never got any of the whiff mm-hmm. as a kid, listening to it as as I got older, it's it's dark and right? it's 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 a mean spirited movie masked with charming children singing engaging tunes. Well, it's ultimately hopeful. I mean, it is. Uh, it, it I is. mean, the 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 um, father. What was his position? Uh, commander. Commander. Well, it is a good thing my mom doesn't listen to the show. She would be embarrassed that I got that wrong. It is Captain George Von Trapp. Captain, not Commander. Christopher Plummer portrays Captain George Von Trapp. Whatever he was, I mean, he was a very righteous person. He yes. he was unwilling to join the Nazis. So yes. ultimately, good one. Or escaped? Good escaped. Yeah. I think that's fair. Good escaped. You know, and I, I do get sometimes depressed with a lot of history because very often good doesn't win good escapes small pockets of good survives surviving and escaping is victory victory. yeah in those situations but it's just i don't know why i had to add five minutes onto the podcast to give you my take on sound of music but (laughs) and to sing and i did yes i can keep going go ahead I could, but you know, I gotta. I can't. I have homecoming tonight at Grossmont. Oh yeah! Yeah, we have fireworks. Fantastic. So hopefully, uh, the voice will be. What do you do there? You broadcast I announce the the games on the stadium uh-huh. throughout the stadium. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, it's it is amazing. It's so fun. I do the basketball games and I do a lot of stuff. I'm Tony. I might take a business card because I do parties and weddings and we played our band played House of Blues last week. Mm. Oh and right! Murdered it. I mean, I, I'm, I haven't confirmed yet, but I'm pretty sure they closed it down. They're not going to ever let anybody play again because... What's next? Right, and what could, what could follow? Right. Why? Right. Why? Why? And <laughs> I'm not sure it was that good, but it was really good. I'm glad. All right. Enough rambling. I will let you go. You've been very generous with your time and your energy. I appreciate it so much. And you making the trek down here in the rain or up here. I'm not sure which direction you came from. East. East. You came 
you came from the east? I came to the east. Oh, you came from the west. Yes. So now you can go west, young woman, <laughs> and uh, and go home. Or like Tracy always say, go home. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. I do. Wow. Yep. We're vibing. We got yeah. something going. We are vibing. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, JenniferCoburn.com, Jennifer Coburn Books on various social medias. Check out Cradles of the Reich. Like it, support it, buy it, comment on it, rate it. What else can they do? They can invite me to their book club, and if yes. their and if their organization is having an annual event and they need a speaker, I'm there. Nice, yeah, nice, good. So on that note, say goodbye to the folks. Goodbye, folks. Thank you, Jennifer, for coming in. Thank you, Tony. Tony in the Mesa, the Mesa. Outro, 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 outro. That is going to do it for another episode of Tony on the Mic. Please subscribe, like, comment, and support the show at Tony on the Mic on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and the TikTok. All of these platforms are being slowly filled with quality entertainment product. Also support the show on our Patreon page and contact Tony on the Mic at TonyOnTheMic.com for sponsorship opportunities and content suggestions. I want to thank my sponsors and the support side, including associate producer. I think we are. Imbalance. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> Dumb's my word for the day. Okay. This show was sponsored by the word dumb. dumb.